On this week's show, we're going to continue our conversation about plan, measure, perform with part four of the series. Remember, nothing gets done until something gets sold. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Are you or someone you know interested in starting a career in the HVAC industry? The EGI Foundation is now accepting applications for its 2020 scholarship plan. This is one of the leading programs dedicated to solving an ongoing employee shortage in the trades and increasing the influx of young talent into the workforce. The EGI Foundation Scholarship Program gives out 20 awards of $2,500 apiece to students pursuing an HVAC degree or certification at an accredited community college, technical or vocational school, or approved technical institute during the 2020-2021 academic year. Applications can be submitted now through January 30th, 2020 on egifoundation.org scholarship. Now, here's the thing we know. When you want to grow your business out of a financial difficulty, you can't steal your way out. You can't borrow your way out. You got to sell your way out. I want to share a quick video with it illustrates how challenging it can be, but how important it is to learn how to sell. You know, I've been fortunate to have experienced a lot of business success, but I can promise you this. It has not always been chocolate and roses and wonderful times. There have been very difficult times when I wondered if I was going to make it. I remember back in 2008, during the beginning of the Great Recession, I had just borrowed a couple of million dollars and purchased several other companies. And the consolidated debt, all this different debt was really bearing down on me. And I remember one day that I had one supplier call me. And between what I owed them for our typical operations and what the companies that I bought owed them, the total of it was $480,000. I said, oh my goodness, I, just, I, I didn't realize it was that much when it was all totaled up. So I agreed to do a promissory note with that supplier for the $480,000 over 24 months. In fact, I had to let them put a lien on my Maui house during those two years. I remember calling the owner of the supplier one time and joking around, hey, I'm going out to Maui for a couple of weeks. Do you mind if I use the place? Because basically he owned it for those couple of years. But you know what? We got better at selling, we got better at holding our margins, and we worked our way out of that debt. We sold our way to prosperity. You know, you can't borrow your way to prosperity, you can't beg your way to prosperity, you can't cheat your way to prosperity. You gotta sell and work your way to prosperity. We paid that $480,000 note off in 20 months, four months ahead of time, every dime of it, not a discounted rate, the entire amount, $480,000 in just 20 months. The bottom line is we were able to do that because we got really good at selling. When you've got a business problem, don't think you're going to borrow your way out of it. Don't think you're going to steal your way out of it. You've got to learn to sell your way through. Selling at good margins, at good volume, on a consistent basis is what makes the difference between businesses that rock and businesses that fail. Now I want to get back to Gary Ellix and join him as he talks about the top 10 key performance indicators. I don't know where Weldon Long is, but wherever he is, he's going to be smiling right now because sales closure rates are key. So we'd love to see that be no less than 60% or greater. Greater is good. We'll take 65. We'll take 70, not less than 60. So if you're closing at the industry average of 42% is the industry average, that's not very good. You should be in Weldon Long sales training classes. You should be studying Weldon Long sales processes. You should be you know, refining your skills, role play, practice, do whatever is necessary. If I'm selling at a 60% clip, I'm probably doing a pretty good job because there's going to be months in the shoulder seasons where the closure rates are going to be low. It's going to be more competitive. And then there's peak season when it's going to be high. Blend it out. This is not an individual month by month. Right in June or July in the middle of the desert when it's 120 degrees, I might not be happy with 
wouldn't be sad, but I wouldn't be happy. Um, if it's January, I might not really look at 60% as the number. So we're going to set monthly targets on this as KPIs go, but as an average, as a blended average, not less than 60%. The best salespeople are doing better than this, and uh, the average salesperson is right here. So you can see that there is an increment to get to this place. It's a skills training issue. Now, in relationship to that, average gross profit per sale. So I want you to be very aware uh, that there are pieces of information out there that will say average you know, uh, sale. And, that, and so that, you've heard that. What's your average sale? What's your average ticket? I don't care about the average ticket. Okay? I care about the average gross profit dollar per sale per day, meaning that we're going back to this discussion here. It's entirely possible to sell a two-day job at a high price, $10,000, and say, well, it was a 45% gross margin percentage, which would have produced 4,500 gross profit dollars out of a $10,000 sale. And you go, wow, that's pretty good. But you don't really know that. That actually could be a disaster, because you're looking at the sale price. You're not looking at the gross profit dollars as it relates to the days. Well, if your overhead per day happens to be $2,000 and you've got a two-day job, you've got $4,000 of overhead here. Congratulations. You made $500 for two days' worth of work. You made $250 profit for each day. This is not a success pattern. You will not survive in business doing it this way. So we will not look at the average ticket as a primary critical KPI. We will look at the average gross profit dollars per day per sale. And we will say that, in this case, the average gross profit dollars per sale here are $2,250. And so if the overhead was $2,000 per day, we sold $2,250 and we knew the overhead was, was $2,000, we would automatically know that $2,250 is not a very good number. That's why we're going to look at that number because it relates to the cost associated with the business. So for us, we've already established that $2,000 gross profit dollars per crew is a minimum. $1,000 gross profit dollars per man day is a minimum. So I'm looking at the average gross profit dollars per sale, and I'm looking at that and saying that if I sold you know, $40,000 today in revenue, what did I produce in gross profit dollars? And so if I said 20,000 gross profit dollars, that still doesn't tell me what the daily issue was. So by, if I said, well, there were 20 days sold and that equals $1,000 per day, then I'm feeling pretty good about that. That goes back to the discussion of capacity down here in number eight. So gross profit dollars are what we pay our bills worth, not sales dollars. And it's entirely possible to have multiple day jobs in your world where you have duck modifications or where you're doing things that are going to take high labor, low material events. And so we need to focus in on the area of gross profit because that's what tells us that we've priced correctly and that we're getting the return back for our company's asset that we put out there, which is labor. Next on the list, revenue to goal. What was my goal? $10,000 a day. I sold $12,000. Revenue today, $12,000. Goal, $10,000. Revenue for the week, $75,000. Goal was $80,000. Not good. 
So revenue to goal across the whole company boundary. That's your whole company. That's everything. So if I'm behind in my revenue curve, then I have a marketing problem. I need to go in and figure out the marketing issues, which gets us back to those underlying metrics or KPIs that follow underneath these top 10 critical items. Well, if I, my revenue is above plan, and oh, by the way, my gross profit dollars per day here are doing well, this company is printing money. I'm on the beach, I'm happy. I'm not coming back. Send me more beer, just send a new container ship out here, put the beer on the beach, I'm good, okay? Next, capacity to sell your days of labor versus your actual days of labor sold. So, I have, I'm just gonna make this up. I have one crew, I'm a small business. Not a big business, I'm a small business. One crew. Okay, well that's about 244 days of work in the year per crew. That's five days a week times 50 weeks, two weeks of vacation. That's 250 days minus six paid holidays gives me 244 days. That's my available days to sell this crew. Now I don't sell all my days because I got shoulder seasons. I got people that are you know, 75 degrees outside, nothing is breaking, there's no demand service, there's no lead turnovers, life is good. So what I actually sold is the number that I care about. It's what we call selling efficiency, selling efficiency. This KPI number eight is one of the least tracked KPIs in the trade. In fact, very, very few people track this number if at all, only the people that I've consulted with generally will have this piece of information. The reason it is critical is this, is that as I sell more days here and track towards this 244, meaning let's just make believe for a second. Let's say I sold 196 out of 244 days last year. That's roughly 65%. Don't sue me for the exact quote on that percentage. I'm just doing rough math off the top of my head. But if that ends up being I sold 196 out of 244, 65% of the days are sold, that means 35% are not sold. And what that means is I've got this overhead, and the overhead is sitting there. The lights, the whiteboard, the markers, the trucks, the depreciation, the general liability insurance, the taxes, the building maintenance, things like training, marketing expenses, employees, I got bookkeeper, I got customer service. I got to pay all those, but all those expenses are there whether I sell another day or whether I don't sell any of these days. And that's called your overhead. So if I can improve the efficiency and sell more of these days, if I can sell 230 out of 244, I'm spreading the overhead over a much larger group of jobs the overhead per day is declining. I get to keep more profitability because the overhead per day is declining. I've spent less money per day per job. The dollars of overhead are the same, but I've produced more revenue. I've produced more revenue and I've produced more gross profit. Therefore, I get to keep more. So as a metric, we are going to track the capacity. How many crews do we have? How many days do we have to sell? How many opportunities did we actually use to sell it right here? 196, 65%. And I'm going to work very hard at establishing that as my minimum threshold. You are not allowed to be less than this KPI. 
the target KPI for this threshold is in fact 80%. If you can get me to an 80% number where I'm selling 80% of my days, you're going to be a very successful contractor because you'll have lots more gross profit dollars per sale. Your gross profit dollars per day should be strong and healthy if you're priced correctly. Your efficiency and your ability to sell will have improved. You spread your overhead over a wider range of dollars. You are winning. Okay, you're winning the contracting game. Now that's a shoulder season problem that you're going to run into, meaning that you're off peak periods. The only way you're going to improve from 65 to 80%, first of all, is to track it, because if you don't measure it, what gets measured gets done. If you don't do that, you can forget it. So measuring it is the first step, but then looking at your shoulder season and saying, I got to have a promotion, go into the promotional videos, go into the Sweet 16, go into that discussion under marketing, strategy number five, promotions. Watch the video, look at the material, get yourself organized on a promotion for your shoulder season, get your service agreement strategy working, sell some jobs, and move that number up to 80%. The rest of these metrics here are going to start performing better for you. Now we all know, at least we should know, that service agreements are the backbone of all the successful companies. Take a look at this video that illustrates that point. One of the biggest challenges contractors face is managing the slow seasons. The key to that problem is building a solid foundation of service agreement customers. Let me give you a couple of examples. I know of a company that has roughly 20,000 service agreement customers. If they see each of those customers twice in heating and cooling season, that's 40,000 service calls in the course of a year. That's 150 calls per day. Now think about that for a second. They could stop their marketing tomorrow and the phone would ring thousands of times, 150 calls a day for a year. That, my friends, is what's called job security. Now not everybody's gonna have that kind of volume. Not everybody's a huge company. I remember in 2007 when I bought one of my competitors, they had zero service agreement customers. In a matter of a couple of years, we had built that to 3,000 service customers. It's such an important part of your business because it insulates you against those slow seasons. Let me give you three simple steps that you can use starting today to grow your maintenance base. Number one, every time your CSR schedules a service call, be sure they tell the homeowner, the very last thing they tell the homeowner is be sure and ask the service technician about your discounts. You gotta plant that seed, it's kind of clickbait, right? It puts the homeowner in a situation to where they're gonna be asking your service technician about the discounts. Number two, when your technician gets to the house, make sure one of the things he says or she says is, I understand Mary at the office said you were interested to know more about our discounts, right? Now you've got the service technician bringing up the same conversation. Number three, make sure that your maintenance technician or your service technician has some information on the maintenance agreements. On a simple one sheet of paper, I call it the handoff. So after the initial greeting, before they go start working on the system, simply hand the sheet of paper to the homeowner, and on that sheet of paper is all the information on your maintenance agreement program, including the discounts. As your service technician goes about his business, the homeowner is reviewing the information. Inevitably, that's going to spur a conversation about the maintenance agreement and the discounts the homeowner can get under that agreement. The key to managing the slow times in your business is having that solid foundation of maintenance agreement customers. So go to your CSRs today. Tell them the last thing they should tell the homeowner when they set that appointment is to ask the technician about discounts. Then tell your technicians. The first thing they should talk about is I understand you want information about our discounts and then hand off the information about the maintenance agreement. When that happens, you're gonna have a lot fewer sleepless nights during your slow season. That, my friends, is job security.
Now let's get back to Gary Ellix and look at KPI number nine and number 10. Then service agreements are number nine. Um, that's 1,500 per million, 1,500 per million of residential change out, maintenance, and service revenue. We also will say, well, the minimum threshold is 1,000. So you need to be at least 1,000 per million. But I'd like to see you at 1,500. 1,500, you're humming. 1,000, you're doing well. 1,500, you're exceptional. So the metric that we're looking for is service agreement converted. So I need to have 1,000 per million. So if I'm a half million dollar company and I'm a small business, I got one crew, one technician, myself, and I'm doing a half million dollars in change out service and maintenance, I ought to have at least 500 agreements. And if I'm doing well, I should have 750 agreements. And the reason that that business is going to prosper if they have 750 agreements is they're going to end up selling some jobs in their off periods to those service agreement customers next year when they're doing their maintenance. Some of those customers are going to buy equipment from you in your off-peak period. You're going to improve your efficiency rate here. Oh, by the way, that's going to improve your gross profit dollars per sale and your gross profit dollars per day. You're probably going to be making more money because of that. You're going to be growing your business. But that, what that takes is a service agreement conversion process. So the second metric that attaches itself, in other words, how I get to this 1,000 or 1,500 is I need no less than a 50% conversion rate of my service agreements. The old industry metric was 25% years and years ago. You got um, guys like uh, Bogan, Bogan, Bogan. You got Doc Rusk. Uh, you got Ron Smith. You got Jackie Rainwater. I mean, these are legends of people that are out there in the history of our industry. And they have always said, you know, no less than 25%. Well, we've been able to achieve a 50% rate. Actually, in our own companies, we're running closer to 70%. But the metric itself and how we look at it and pay people, if I'm on the beach and I sell 51%, I'm happy. If I'm on the beach and I'm selling 40%, we're not doing it right. Something is wrong. We're not communicating our value to the customer. So 50% is here. In my own company, we pay at 50%, but we're converting 71% and have been for a long time. So that's how we get to this 1,500 per million. So these metrics right here are key. And the last one is the lead turnovers. Number 10, lead turnovers. David, here we are, number 10. Lead turnovers are the number of leads that your technicians produce from service and maintenance that are high quality leads that are gonna close. The reason this is key, this is not a, necessarily a metric, but we know that we close about 83% of any lead turnover from a technician which means only 17% don't close. So this is a golden opportunity for a transaction to occur. So I want as many of these as possible, of course. So I'm gonna spend time and energy to train on how to do that. But from a lead turnover point of view, I'm looking for no less than one out of 15 lead turnovers. That's per service call, per service agreement, per tech, per service department. Show me the lead turnover rate and I'll be happy. You can do better than this. This is not less than one out of 15. Not less than one out of 15. So these are your top 10 metrics. So I'm going to take you back over into the main studio, and we will have a final conversation. So you're going to have to excuse me, because I got to fly to the beach here right now, and I'm going to look at those top 10 metrics uh, while I'm on the plane on the way down to the beach. So the process that we just went through are, hey, what are the key areas? What are the critical items that, you know, the, the, 
the triage. So somebody brings you know, a patient in off the battlefield or you come to an emergency room. Um, they're not you know, drawing blood, taking the vitals for cholesterol and finding out what's going on, looking at the metric within the metric. They're looking at the big items. You know, where's the wound? What are the, what's the immediate crisis? Let's deal with it. So the top 10 critical KPIs or metrics are those that we really never take our eye off of. Then what we do is once we master those top 10 KPIs, we most certainly want to look underneath the hood and we want to say, well, how do those get created? What are the cost of goods sold and what should the metrics be? For example, material cost in service should be 13% or less. But that's not the most important KPI. The most important KPI is 22% service labor to service labor sales. That number is variable. It moves around. It's the one number that can kill me as a business. The 13% cost of goods sold for material in there doesn't move around. The parts price and cost that I buy from the supply house, they don't really change on a daily basis. And I've already priced them in my flat rate book. So the consistency of that number isn't a variable. If it's wrong, it's wrong, and I need to fix it. But it's not like it's going to be changing on a daily, moment-to-moment -moment basis versus labor, which is changing on a daily, moment-to-moment -moment basis, which is why I have to see it every day. Okay? So the key critical KPIs, the top 10, those are the numbers that you need to be looking at. And so you need a dashboard system or you need an accounting system that gives you that feedback on a daily basis, no less than weekly. I'll live with weekly until you can get to daily. But there's absolutely no exception, and there's no reason for a small business or a large business not to have a weekly reporting system that gives them those top 10 KPIs. So as always, if you have questions, dial up, ask the experts, send me an email, send the educators an email. We will respond to you as quickly as we can. And we appreciate the opportunity for you to be a Premium Plus member. And as always, business process, profitability, cash flow, that's the reason why we're doing what we're doing and time away from your business. We're going to the beach. See you next time. Now, if you're interested in learning more about operating plans, I want to encourage you to sign up for a free 30-day trial by clicking join at the top of this page. That's all you got to do. Join and you're in. Now, this is just a small piece of the process, but you need the whole thing to make it all work. We have a lot more content from Gary Ellix on company planning, including scaling up, using action plans, suppliers funding, month-end financial reviews, entering new verticals, and management communications. In case you're not aware, We've launched a new video podcast called Unfiltered. You can view the full episode at EGA.org unfiltered. I want to share with you a short clip from one of the episodes. We talk about finding the best people and how to keep them. If someone were to say to you, for example, Gary, uh, I just can't find good people. You know, what, 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 what's the quick fix to getting great people? What would you say? Well, there isn't a quick fix. Right. <laughs> That's a simple answer. That was a softball. What's next? That was a softball. <laughs> yeah, that's a softball. So, and it's a softball that I could hit. Um, yeah, I think the, the trick is that you, know, you want to define what your culture is. So a lot of companies, they struggle with that idea. Uh, so I, but I mean, that's a leadership problem that needs to be solved. Um, so you can, you can build a great team, but the team needs to know uh, what's expected of them. They need to know um, how the behaviors in the company are going to uh, be accepted, what's not going to be accepted. Um, certainly compensation, performance rewards, and things like that are what we often think are what drive teams, but that's not, that's not it at all. Um, it's about being a part of something and a bigger picture. So, the, you know, start with the why. Uh, so we like to start with the vision. Um, 
the purpose of the company, why we're doing what we're doing. There's a bigger reason why we do heating, air conditioning, why we do web design and you know, uh, digital management. Um, so the, the team wants to rally around that idea and then the core values get broken down uh, into the behaviors. And we talk about that a lot. And so one of the things I think that a lot of contractors would benefit from is what we call 360 degree leadership review. So every employee gets to review me and their direct supervisor uh, anonymously as part of our quarterly review process. So not only do I review you if you're a technician, but the technician gets to review me as a business owner, as a leader, and we talk about those types of things about how we're doing. So Richard Branson, I think, is probably a guy who you know started Virgin Atlantic, and I mean, obviously, he's an adventurer now, but um, he's also a guy like Sewell who said, it's all about the employee. You gotta, you gotta get the employee in a great position, put them in a position where they can function well, they're not only happy and fulfilled, but they can do the work and their resource right, and they'll do the right things for the customers. And so um, that's a lot of work, but it, it's, it's definitely how you build a company that is sustainable past me. Well, folks, that wraps up our show for this week. Be sure and join us next week. We're going to keep talking about this plan, measure, and perform. We'll see you next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.